Happy New Year, and welcome to part two of our conversation with Daniel Lipman, who covers the White House and Washington for Politico. I'm Allison Fasto, partner at Seven Letter, and I'm joined by my colleague Tim Berger of Council at Seven Letter. In part two of our interview, Daniel gives his assessment of the Democratic primary field, tells us how he got a start in journalism, and gives out some free advice for PR professionals. I worked at Legal Times years ago uh, before the New York Daily News, and uh, Steve Brill was the owner at the time, and he had a policy that a- a- any any error would be corrected, and the er- the correction would appear as prominently as the error did. So if you had an error on page one, the correction went on page one, Ooh, uh, cool. and that was a good exercise. Did you ever have any page one corrections? Or? I don't think so. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, that's always been my great emphasis is to avoid errors, you know, and it, it's you have to be very painstaking, but it's it's a good exercise to remember that that's how it's going to work and um you know to make you make you be extra careful and also maybe give the subjects of stories a little bit of a sense that there's some fairness and um you know and i try to get comment from everyone and so that they're not surprised brody mullins who as an intern at the wall street journal he uh, is one of the top reporters in town covering lobbying and influence and you know he writes uh, a huge story every couple months uh, in which everyone in Washington reads. Uh, and he had he told me about the Wall Street Journal's no surprises policy, where you've contacted everyone, you've mentioned the story, uh, and you've also given people the ability to comment or at least know what's in the story. And so uh, that entails just keeping people briefed about, you know, I'm going to report this, that, and the other. And um, so then... Uh, it makes it much harder after if they say, uh, you know, why did you put that in? I'm like, well, I told you about that. And so if you had an issue with that um, and it's not factually wrong now, then uh, we stand by the story. And you also sometimes, if it's a sensitive story, there's uh, lawyers that will read it. And so um, it's, you know, good to, uh, because lawyers kind of say, well, maybe we should take that out or change that, or, you know, we're on stronger ground if we leave that out. How do you, how do you bulletproof something essentially? Yeah. And I think they, they do a good job if you're, you know, a veteran, uh, lawyer who covers, who does some media stuff that they know, uh, you know, they're not going to ask you to re-report the story, but they will point out different things, uh, to fix or to, to kind of make it stronger. Well, we're um, sitting here in the offices of Seven Letter, which is a PR firm. So we have to ask you, uh, what advice would you give people working in PR when it comes to working with reporters? Um, I would say uh, that, you know, personal pitches are always uh, good in terms of um, knowing the audience. And so there's sometimes people have pitched me stories or sent me press releases that I just have no interest in covering and are totally opposite from uh, my beat and just, you know, Politico in general. And so, uh, you know, using your brain in that way, that's important. Uh, But also, I think uh, reporters will will be more likely to help you out in the future if you give them something in return at the start and if it's not a completely transactional relationship. And so if you're... uh, you know, offering an exclusive or helping you, helping them connect to a source, um, uh, and then offering, uh, you know, giving them gossip about stuff that they cover, uh, or even pitching stuff on about your competitors, 
that's always useful to reporters. And so uh, that will help you get your calls answered back. And um, I think the era of the press release is mostly over. And, you know, I guess they still serve a purpose sometimes if you you know, if you need a place where you, you can put out your news uh, in a way that might not get an article, then that's what you can do. But most reporters don't read press releases, so like you shouldn't spend too much time, uh, you know, re- writing them. And I think the uh, there's probably yeah, the Mitt Romney's campaign famously had like 22 people at the height, which would, who would have to approve a single tweet. And so I'm sure PR firms spent a lot of time like... That was know, the Romney campaign? Yeah, Mitt Romney. How many people approved the Pierre Delicto tweets? <laughs> <laughs> Not many. But the... Uh, um, so I think a lot of PR firms probably spend a lot of time... Uh, kind of worried about the small stuff and, you know, not actually worried about more in terms of getting new business or, you know, serving their clients that way in terms of big things instead of, you know, smaller ball stuff that uh, people can get wrapped up in. What's your biggest quick pet peeve about PR folks? Um, biggest pet peeve? I think um, yeah, I'd have to think about that, but I would say that... Uh, you know, sometimes uh, just complaining. I mean, <laughs> people, people, people are they they're never happy enough. Present enough company here. excluded, obviously. Of course, and so <laughs> uh, I think just you know, um, and I think like if you mention their like uh, if you mention their client or their whatever, you know, it never hurts to like send like uh, oh I enjoyed your story or like thanks for putting that in or whatever, and so. Uh, you don't see enough of that, I think. What's your preferred method of communication? For a while, it was exclusively email, and then it was, dear God, don't email me, don't call me, don't bother me on Twitter. I'd say uh, probably um, uh, email or text, and then if it's like urgent, then a phone call. But Or if you haven't gotten an uh, uh, email returned, then either re-emailing the person or trying to figure out their phone number and say and texting them and saying hey did you see that because not everyone you know reads every email i read every of my emails but sometimes things get in your clutter and say i don't really check that inbox now bring us back to how you got started in journalism it's a it's a interesting story yeah so uh i in high school at hotchkiss a boarding school in connecticut i would um sometimes see uh, uh yeah, and at GW, I'd see typos or errors in stories because I was reading lots of news. And so I don't even know how I got the idea, but I just um, emailed. I would sometimes email reporters, and I did this thousands of times, point out typos or errors in their stories. Uh, and so uh, some people, you know, were, they were very gracious in replying, saying, thank you, I'll fix that. Or other people were less uh, nice about that, <laughs> saying, you know, don't you have better hobbies? And st- you know, mine is gardening, and what's yours? <laughs> And so that was a fun one from a, a wire service journalist. But the uh, uh, and so that eventually got me connected to uh, different journalists when I was in D.C. in terms of meeting them for coffee and then getting tours of their newsroom, and then uh, got me internships, but also got me profiled in Politico when I was um, a junior, I think, in college, and so or, or sophomore, and so that helped. 
um, you know, get my name out there, even though it was like unintentional. And I actually told the reporter, Daniel Libet, uh, I did not want him to do the story. And so, and then a couple months later, he was uh, going to leave Politico. And so he, he asked me again, can I do the story? And I said, okay. And so then he, I gave him access. And so it's really hard to do that story without access. And so, um, the, so that was a swan, swan song. Uh, and the, uh, and I, I, you just don't want it to be defined by, oh, you were the Washington like copy editor. And so now I think, um, the freelance copy editor. And so hopefully in the last, you know, five and a half years that I've been at Politico that I've given myself a new reputation instead of just being known as the guy who would catch your typos. What's the biggest, the sort of the most egregious error that you pointed out to, uh, one of these journalists? Um, I can't remember, you know, there were so many emails that I sent over the years <laughs> that I probably just, you know, my Yahoo inbox or my GW Mail inbox that I still use there, you know, if you search it back eight years ago, there's, you know, tons of those. Um, I would often catch people's like, uh, if they got uh, people's names wrong or if they misspelled like Richard Haas's, you know, last name, uh, which is an easy one to get wrong, then, uh, uh, you know, I would point that out. Uh, and I think now, especially when I make typos of my own, you know, it just always hurts because I'm like, you know, someone else, some kid, you know, how can I, you know, fall prey to this? And so someone else will point them out uh, and I will sometimes joke uh, that they're trying to reprise what I did. Now you also used to, uh, didn't you used to like call in or, or go on to online chats that Bush administration cabinet secretaries had and stump them sometimes? Yeah, so the uh, in high school, uh, the New Yorker profiled me for doing that in the talk of the town section because they had something called Ask the White House in the Bush administration, where they would have cabinet members and um, senior White House officials and others uh, answer questions from regular Americans. And so I, you know, would always mention I was 15 years old, a high school student, and uh, here was my brilliant question. I wouldn't say it that way, but uh, I would mention the first parts because if you. I knew that I would have a greater chance that they would answer if you if I said how young I was, and so then they could look like oh even young people in this you know unpopular administration that they uh, you know they're on our website asking us you know smart questions and so um, I use that to and CNN came to my high school and did a uh, uh, an interview for a story and then went to my parents' house and interviewed them so that was kind of. Um, fun and so the uh so that was um you know david almasi was the uh, white house internet director at the time and um so i think that was one of the times that he got on cnn so uh it was i wish they had something like that in the trump administration but i think people probably just you know tweet at trump and he tries to he replies sometimes what are some stories you're working on now what's your next scoop going to be uh well you know in the interest of confidentiality, I don't know what I can share, but uh, I think it's trying to pursue uh, storylines about uh, where this uh, administration is going and, and kind of looking at impeachment from a, a, a um, historical point of view uh, and, you know, from the 30,000 foot level where there's all the day-to-day -day news breaking on the hill but also you know, readers want to kind of learn about impeachments in the past and uh, what effects uh, you know this will have um, for 
President Trump going forward in his presidency. So, um, you know, those types of stories, I think people uh, in this town are interested in reading. What's your assessment of the Democratic primary? Well, uh, we were actually you know, chatting about that uh, earlier at breakfast, and um, I think the in, the enduring staying power of Joe Biden is pretty remarkable um, because a lot of people had counted him out, especially after his son's involvement in, in the Ukraine scandal. Um, and But he, uh, it seems like only he is able to knit together all the different coalitions in terms of... Um, you know, African-Americans and women and elderly uh, folks um, and white working class voters, but also the Democratic establishment, um, you know, among liberals. And so Elizabeth Warren is, you know, still pretty strong, but is not seen as she's not inevitable in this primary. And so it'll just if, if he has a good start in the uh, primary season, then. Uh, he could be, you know, he has a good chance of being the nominee. But Michael Bloomberg or Deval Patrick, they haven't really caught fire, at least among the polls just yet. Uh, does President Trump fear Joe Biden as an opponent? Uh, I think he does. And so that's, um, you know, one reason that he's, he was probably trying to uh, inflict some pain on him in terms of the Ukraine scandal and making the Bidens look bad. Uh, and so... Uh, I think he's worried that, and if you talk to Republicans around him and people in the White House, uh, they think that Biden is a tough, is a worthy challenger and would be, um, you know, tough to uh, beat sometimes. And so they feel very much more confident about Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders if, if they're the nominees that they would. So it kind to. of all goes back to Scranton. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think uh, Joe Biden... Uh, can say, well, remember the good old days in the Obama administration when America was more respected around the world and um, there was more uh, serious people who were in charge. And so that, I think that's his uh, return. That's his one of his big pitches. But also, you know, people are wondering what he, why he's running. Besides that, like, what is his, what would he actually do as president? Which is an open question. Besides restoring. Um, you know, his form of leadership to the American and global stage. What's your favorite seven letter word? Um, let me, <laughs> do you need a list to review? <laughs> Sorry to ask such tough questions. <laughs> Hard what, hitting, what, what, what's Hard your, hitting journalism. What's your, uh, favorite seven letter word? Well, today it's podcast. Okay. Well, that was an easy one. Let me, uh, is Politico a seven? Oh, so close. Politic? That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> I will take a uh, a pass on that since I don't have an easy... Well, uh, Daniel, uh, exclamation point is seven yes. characters. Content? Yes. Content, seven. Message. Uh, yeah. Although I, I always hate when, uh, you know, journalists... Uh, when articles are known as content. Oh, okay. And Scratch so content. That's probably one of my least favorite seven. Actually, so I think I do believe Lipman is a seven letter word. Yeah. Although it's, it's a kind of more of a, uh, a name than a word. It's not a noun yet. Or a ger- is it a verb? Not yet. So what have we forgotten to ask or what's the big question that, that, uh, we should ask you or that you just want to answer? Oh, um, I think the, 
I don't think there's that much, uh, you know, that we didn't cover. And so I think like the, what's interesting is that people, uh, you know, they would always, I worked on playbook for so long and people would always wonder, oh, when is the era of email newsletters going away? And people still like, you know, I'm still addicted to playbook and all of our other, uh, you know, Politico newsletters in the morning. And then I, I read the Reliable Sources newsletter that, that Brian Stelter does and the Apple News uh, newsletter. And so I think, you know, people, that's still a pretty value, and the political influence. And so that people uh, still love the uh, easy, you know, uh, access to those to those news sources. And so um, I think, oh, I guess the, my favorite Twitter feeds. Oh, that's good. Oh, favorite Twitter feeds, those. favorite podcasts. So I don't listen to that many podcasts, but the my four favorite Twitter feeds is uh, Blake Hounchell, who's my boss, but he's actually just very good at uh, Twitter as well. Uh, he's at Politico, uh, digital uh, director for editorial. Uh, there's Maggie Haberman's Twitter feed. There's um, Ben Smith, BuzzFeed Ben, and there's Andrew Kaczynski. And so I think if you use those, then if you look at those every day, then you uh, will have a well-rounded news diet and you won't get lost in the Twitter sphere as much as some other people. What's your opinion of um, journalists editorializing on Twitter? It's something I try to stay away from. And so, but I think it's a, it's a problem because the, uh, um, if you're a straight news reporter, um, you shouldn't be offering uh, your opinion too much on Twitter. And so, uh, you should kind of be reporting and you can make, you know, funny asides or you can analyze things, but, um, you don't want to be accused of being conservative or liberal if you're, if you're supposed to be a mainstream down, down the line reporter. And so that, uh, is something that, you know, maybe I don't, I shouldn't, uh, maybe I don't tweet enough, but, um, I think if you, for me, yeah, like uh, I, I'm trying to spend my time reporting and interviewing people and calling people and meeting with people, and so the if I'm spending too much time on Twitter, then uh, that's taking away time from that I could be doing pursuing actual stories. Well, on that note, thanks for joining us, Daniel, and uh, thank you, and um, thanks, Allison. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to podcast as a seven letter word. Uh, if you like what you heard, please look at, look for more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.